0: My subject this morning is simply being with Jesus in his passion. And we'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. In this season, ever since uh, Ash Wednesday, I've been in messages that have been trying to encourage us, as we always want to be close to Jesus year-round, to even draw closer and focus more. And now of all the messages that have we've, we've looked at, we reach this week, passion. As Christians, we believe strongly that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, he knew what was about to unfold. He knew what he was going to face in Jerusalem. He knew the ordeal that would be before him. He knew that Jesus, that that Judas would betray him. He knew the pain and the torture that he was about to endure and the cross that was coming. So some would understandably ask. You know, there are many questions that the world raises that are just not smart. I don't want to call them dumb questions because I've always thought there were no dumb questions, but not the greatest questions in the world, and they're not questions actually seeking answers. But some questions are fair. With all that Jesus knew that was coming, with all the soberness of what was about to unfold in the week ahead of him, why begin this week, a week the church has called Passion Week for centuries, with a parade? Why begin with a parade? So glad you asked. Turn in Matthew chapter 21. I'll begin reading in verse number one. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus saw two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey And the cult laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the ground. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. In this series of being with Jesus, we've taken a look at a lot of different scenes. We looked at the woman at the well in Samaria. We looked at the blind man last week who was excommunicated from the synagogue, but that Jesus came to care for we looked at Jesus' wilderness temptation at the very beginning of his ministry and how he defeated the powers of darkness through the word of God. And we looked at his mountaintop experience, a glorious moment, but saw that, one, we're not meant to live there. They're there for momentary experiences. But in Luke's understanding of the transfiguration, he mentions that when Moses and Elijah came to speak with Jesus, he spoke, that, that both of them spoke with him specifically about this week, about the journey that was ahead of them. And so now we come to the final week to complete this journey. This is why Jesus was born. This is why he's here. His purpose in coming into the world, this moment, these moments, are the center of all hope for all humanity. The Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the crucifixion and what we'll spend the entire time talking about next week the resurrection and i state again with all that he knew that was coming can anybody question that information because i've heard many people say well jesus didn't know what was about to happen hmm he didn't know what the crowd was going to do he didn't know what was going to unfold in this week so we should turn them back one chapter to Matthew chapter 20 verses 18 and 19 behold we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify and the third day he will rise again so he knew what was coming so I ask again why a parade why the waving of palms why the shouts of Hosanna which are a Hebrew expression meaning just joy and adoration to the one who's being shouted at or addressed and according to Matthew it was because in verse 10 they were moved it is a sad place in anyone's life, believer or unbeliever, when God can't move you. That is a very difficult and dark place you've come to, when the Spirit of God in any way can't move you. But these individuals who were not direct followers of Jesus, yet when they heard the praises, when they saw him coming, they were moved. Yet they did ask, who is this? And the answer came, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Most can probably remember the chorus we learned as children in many a Sunday school. Everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. They didn't. I'm quite sure the person they were shouting praises to and offering things to, they really didn't know who he was. They'd heard stories. Word had spread about the miracles he'd performed. And like all things and stories spread, not just about the good things, but also the challenging things, they'd probably heard stories about his many challenging interactions with the religious leaders. But they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know if he really was a prophet or was he a pretender like many had come before him. Or was this just some movement and he was just some orchestrated puppet in the middle of it that had come to Jerusalem for the Passover that I can proclaim right from the word of God. While the crowd may not have known who he was, Jesus knew who he was. There was no doubt in himself who he was. This parade is a statement. This parade is a proclamation of his authority. Jesus was not just some martyr who was taken by surprise when things went south and he didn't know they were going that way. He's not someone who was a good man, and then later, after his death, his disciples decided, or his followers agreed, let's make him a hero and lift him up. But we're told they all entered Jerusalem, and Jesus had 20-20 foresight into what was about to happen. He wanted them to be able to understand and at least be able to have something in their mind As they were going to behold the cross and understand what the cross meant in his situation for everyone else who had ever been crucified the cross was a symbol of execution but not for jesus for jesus it was a sign not of execution it was a sign of a battle A battle for your sins and my sins. And we can say with praise today, a battle Jesus won. He looked the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, in the eye. And he said, let's do this. Let's go at it. And he won that battle so that your sins could be forgiven and my sins could be forgiven. And the sins of the entire world could be forgiven. I want to make just two points today. His entry into Jerusalem was a statement that he was and is today the son of God. This entry was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It says right in the passage we read that, it was, that he was coming in on the donkey in fulfillment of what the prophet said. That's in Zechariah chapter 9 where it says he will come in on a donkey. He arranged everything so that he could be obedient to the scriptures. Oh, if we could, as people of God, arrange our lives and pattern our lives so that they are obedient to the word of God. Well, I'll try and live by the word. I want to arrange my life. I want to arrange my interactions. I want to arrange my relationships so that they can be in obedience to the word of God. He entered Jerusalem, the holy city, at a festive time. It was Passover. There was an air of celebration in the air anyway. And although he knew this week and how it would unfold, he actually encouraged their shouts when the chief priests and the religious leaders said, can you keep this crowd quiet? Can you just kind of keep him down? They were actually not just upset with the noise. They were obviously upset with what they were saying. They were calling him the son of David, which essentially they were not just making a reference to who his great-great-great-grandfather was, but they were making a reference to him as the Messiah. So when they're asking him, can you please keep it down? They're also saying, do you believe what they're saying about you? And he is the Messiah. He is the one. They wanted Jesus to calm the people down. And in Luke's telling of the entry in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 39, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if they should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I've made it a purpose in my life from when I was a young Christian and I first heard the scripture preached to me that there was never going to be a rock that was going to out praise me. I'm going to give praise to my Lord and I don't care who hears it or what's going on. But there's a context to this that is powerful. They were coming into Jerusalem, passing through the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was traditionally not only this beautiful place, it was also ceremonially a burial ground. And many believe, have always believed, some not always, but some, that the stones Jesus was referring to were the headstones of those who were buried in the area. That would have been an awesome scene to have all of a sudden the crowd be silenced and all those who had died rising up to give God praise, to give exaltation to the Messiah. Church, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter how they try and silence us. We are going to proclaim the name of Jesus no matter what. Yeah. <clears throat> the entry was to be, make it clear. Jesus was the long-awaited, long-ago promised Messiah. He was then and remains today the Son of God. He was not just some ordinary man. He was not just some guy who could draw a crowd. He was not just some deluded person with a God complex. The Lord of all creation entered Jerusalem that day the king of the universe, entered Jerusalem that day. The savior of all humanity, past, present, and future, entered Jerusalem that day. Which leads to my second point. Not only was this a statement that he was and is the son of God, but as he entered Jerusalem, this was a statement that he was and is the lamb of God. Psalm Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22, says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The procession to the altar of all humanity had begun. The lamb who would be the sacrifice for our iniquity was prepared. So many still believe that their key to heaven is just live a good life, treat people right, and maybe when I get to heaven, and I'll get to the pearly gates, and I'll see St. Peter, Why Peter got that job, I don't know. It's almost like, doesn't Peter get to do anything else but stand at the gate? But no, it's not about leading a good life. Oh, please, lead a good life. It's not about treating people right. Please, treat people right. It's about whether or not you've embraced and bowed your knee to the sacrifice that was made for your sins and for the sins of the world. And until that happens, leading a good life isn't going to get you past the one you will see when we pass away. And it's not Peter. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture that we read in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, absent from the body is present from the Lord. That's going to be true for everybody. The question is, when you come before Jesus, will it be as Savior or as judge? I choose Savior. He was the sacrifice. Now, that had meaning to the Jewish people. They had been practicing the sacrifices that were outlined in God's word in the law for centuries. But this sacrifice was going to be different. Because every other sacrifice had to be repeated. It had to be done every single year. First the sacrifice for the high priest and then the sacrifice for the sins of all of Israel. But it was a sacrifice that was inadequate because it had to be done every year. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came to be the Lamb of God, it was a sacrifice once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll begin reading in verse number 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he was perfected forever He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he said before this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds I will write them then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more someone say amen to that now there was Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. His sacrifice was once for all. A perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, a sinless lamb, and one that did it willingly came because he loved you and he loved me. The old sacrifices had to be repeated every year because, as the writer to the Hebrews says, they could not accomplish and take away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, the way in which the word of God came into people was through mediation. They would be imparted. They would be spoken. They would be conveyed. But in Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, now the word of God gets written on our hearts, and we have it always with us. You don't need to go through a high priest. You don't need to go through a pastor. You don't need to go through a minister. The door to Jesus is directly open, and he accepts it from anybody, doesn't matter who. But this Jesus, the Lamb of God, became once for all a sacrifice. Believing him created the situation. No longer an offering for sin was needed. Now, I, I do want to be balanced. Most of you know me, that's I achieve. I like to achieve that in my entire life. I like here. I don't like this. I like this. And yet when if we've done something wrong, The Bible is clear in the New Testament about making it right, about restitution, about going to one another and asking forgiveness. And the Bible says we're to forgive one another. We know that prayer within that the Lord taught us to pray where he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So we're obviously supposed to forgive those who sin against us. So I'm not talking about not doing that. But when it comes to my standing before Jesus, I no longer need an offering for my sins to be made. I need him. I need him and him alone. And this is what inspired praise. This should inspire worship. And this should inspire life commitment. Then and now. So many people in our day and age are trying to figure out the why question. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is the meaning to life? You're trying to figure out what makes sense of all this. Well, it depends, first of all, what the all this is. If you're trying to make sense of the nonsense that goes on in our culture, if you're trying to make sense of why our culture calls what's wrong right and right wrong, give it up. Because it doesn't make sense. That's why we call it nonsense. But when it comes to understanding why I'm here, when it comes to understanding my purpose, when it comes to understanding my goals at a spiritual level for each and every day, the, amp- the, the answer is simple. Jesus said so. I'm here because Jesus said so. What does God want me to do? What he says. How does God want me to live? In obedience to his word. But that book was written a long time ago. It was. But the author is still alive today. (laughs) The author is still here. (laughs) Now there are so many books we admire and if the author is still alive we want to herald them and honor them which can be appropriate but I'm here to tell you the author of the book we read is still alive and he is worthy of praise he is worthy of glory he is worthy of honor he entered Jerusalem about to face all kinds of pain and not one ounce of it deserved it was pain for you and for me and yet he said, let's do this. Let's start this battle. Because he knew. Obviously his disciples didn't know. That's why they all kind of ran. We'll talk about that on Friday. But he knew how the battle would end. It, you know, It's kind of like when my son proposed to his now fiance on Friday. We all kind of knew what she was going to say. We hoped Anyway. and one of the reasons why we knew is because they've been together for a while and she kind of helped pick out the ring and 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 kind of design it which gives you the impression that she was going to accept the ring she helped design and pick out that would have added more questions if the answer had been different but there was an expectation that the end result was known jesus knew how the battle was going to end Jesus knew how this was going to play out. And yet, there was that moment when he was on the cross and he said, It is finished. That still brought power because he was looking at the sins in your life, he was looking at the bondage in your life, he was looking at the iniquities in your life and saying, Brother and sister, it is finished. He was looking at that veil that was torn in two that separated us from God and said, it is finished. He was looking at the sacrifices that had been put out through the law that were to try to show what God wanted. And he was saying, nah, it is finished. Come to me directly. And we have this relationship. And this was all started with a parade of praise some have said and I've heard preachers say if there's any day in the church that the church should give God praise it's Palm Sunday I want to correct that just a little bit if there's any day in the church that the church should give God praise it's a day with the word day in it <laughs> because God is always the son of God and church he's always going to be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Stand with me please.